Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. so thankful that we're together in the house of the Lord. You can be seated, and I just want to talk to you a little bit uh, from the book of Jonah, and if you will turn there, um, Brother Charles Mahaney used to talk about these little small uh, books of the Bible. He said, you may have to lick your thumb more than once to turn the pages there. (laughs) If you knew Brother Mahaney, you would know. It sounds just like something he would say. We're going to um, talk a little bit about the whole book of Jonah, but my focus is going to be on the fourth chapter of Jonah. And um, so if you will uh, just kind of go there and hang out, and we'll just ask the Lord to touch us this evening. I don't know how much uh, perhaps jumping and running we may do, but if we can just have a fireside chat about the, the wonderful, wonderful truths of God's word then we will leave here enriched by the presence of the Holy Ghost it's been said that um, we can do right things for the wrong reasons and one just seems to nullify the other there's a lot of truth to that and uh, if you were even remotely familiar with uh, the Bible you probably most likely have at least read if not heard the story of Jonah as as a matter of fact sometimes we're a little bit reticent to go to stories like this in an an adult setting because we consider these to be sort of Sunday school or children's church or children's ministry stories And, uh, and by doing so we perhaps can fail to unearth some wonderful wonderful pearls. And so I pray that the Lord will just help us. And uh, here's a book. John, I was thinking about what John had written, and he said if everything were written that could be written, the world would not contain the book. And so if we have a book that bears the man's name, Jonah, even though it only has four chapters, we certainly can't afford to sweep this away as though it is somehow unimportant. It could uh, accurately, I think, be said of the entire book of Jonah that in a perfect world, in a perfect setting, it would not be the book of Jonah, but the ministry and the message of Jonah could have been contained in just a few verses. (laughs) In truth, It could have all just been summarized. Jonah 1, the Bible says in verses 1, 2, and 3, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. 
And so it could have been, let's all stand to be dismissed. That was the book of Jonah. In a perfect world, the Spirit of the Lord spoke to him and said, Arise and go to Nineveh and cry out against it because their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah took issue with the command and he decided, I'm going to do this my way. Now, let's walk through this little children's ministry and Sunday school story, okay? That led to a near-death experience where ultimately Jonah was thrown overboard. He, he understood right out of the gate, I am the cause of this storm. He tried to convince the men earlier than they actually threw him overboard, you need to get rid of me and you'll get rid of the storm. But they, they opted, thank God, for their love for humanity they threw a few more of the tackling and things of that nature over the ship. And finally, in, in sake, for the sake of their own lives, they threw him overboard. The Bible says that, that God had prepared a fish. We call it Jonah and the well, but it really wasn't a well. It was a prepared, it wasn't a well as we know it. It was a prepared fish. And God sent that, and it may have looked like at a moment that it was judgment that God was just gonna swallow him up. But I've learned that judgment, I mean, that, that, uh, that grace sometimes can come in odd packages. It wasn't judgment at all. It was really the mercy of God, the grace of God. And, uh, and then this perplexing portion of the story that has probably caused all of us a little bit of pause at some point or another, that it took Jonah three days in the belly of the fish to repent, what in the world would have merited 72 hours to decide <laughs> what I'm going to do about that? And I've heard Brother J.H. Osborne say many times before, he said, I think I would have been speaking in tongues by the time they threw me over the ship. I think I, I, think I could have <laughs> had all of this hammered out by the, time they let, by the time I hit the water. But nevertheless, the fish, he does repent. He turns himself toward the temple. What an what a tremendous story and there's so much teaching and so much preaching that in all of this that he turns himself toward the temple. He prays a prayer of repentance. God moves on the fish. He takes him to shore, spits him out on dry ground and, it, and then all of a sudden it seems like that we are reading Jonah 1, 1 and 2 again. But we're really not. We're just right back to where we started after this entire ordeal, the Lord speaks again. And the Bible says in Jonah 3, 1 and 2, the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise and go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. I've got a message. The first time he said, Their, their wickedness has come up before me. And he says, I have got a word for them. So Jonah finally gives him to the will of God, goes to Nineveh, preaches, and the entire city is moved to repentance. Now, that's how we end chapter three. And like so many stories, it would just be wonderful if we could just stop the train right there at that station. If we could have just halted it all, we've still got general conference material on our hands. If we could just stop right here, this is wonderful. A man has gone to a city, preached a message, and Jonah would probably not be known as one of the greatest prophets of all time. 
because not many people can say they preached one message and thousands of people repented, a city repented and turned to the Lord. I've preached way more than one message and that hasn't happened, amen. But here's what we have. We see a man preaching and we see people moving. And if we were to just take a still shot of that, it would be a wonderful portrait. It would be a wonderful story. But it's a different story than that altogether. And I believe that's why we have the fourth chapter of Jonah. Because we are looking at Jonah preaching. We are looking at the Ninevites repenting. We're seeing revival in the streets, victory in the hearts. But God was looking at the heart of the messenger. And so we can, we can pause here a little while this evening and think about how imperative it is that we ask God into our heart. That God would help us understand the motive of why we do what we do. It's in this fourth chapter that the Lord begins to unveil the thought and the intent of Jonah's heart and he exposes what is there and it's not a pretty sight. It's from this fourth chapter that I want to spend a little time tonight and consider the heart of this man. Now, I'm not planning on uh, taking a fresh look at Jonah's dirty laundry just for the sake of digging through somebody else's dirty laundry so we can make ourselves feel better. But I believe that there's a real message here tonight for all of us because we can all be guilty of doing the right thing, but our heart is not really, really there. Looking back briefly at the beginning of this book, I want to consider just a few things that parallel. In the very first chapter, we meet a very selfish man. If there's anyone, perhaps, that we could find in Scripture whose lives would sort of be akin to Jonah, at least at this point, it would be the prodigal son of Luke 15. Because here is a man that says, I want it all and I want it now, and I want it my way. That just seems to be the story of human nature, doesn't it? I just want what I want. I want to do my own thing. But if you read the entire book of Jonah, if you, if you stop right there in verse chapter 1, that's what you see. But as you continue to read through the book of Jonah, Jonah doesn't, He morphs sort of into not the prodigal son, but by the time it's all said and done, he's more like the prodigal son's brother. So just stay with me now. He started out being selfish and wanting his own way. We find him as he weaves his way through to chapter 4. Now he's criticizing what's going on. Remember the story of the prodigal son. He was mad that his brother lived long enough to return home. (laughs) And when everybody else was rejoicing and thinking what a wonderful thing, my brother has returned. Here is a man that's pouting and sulling up because somebody did return and they came to themselves and, and he failed to understand that his brother, his brother still paid a tremendous price for this decision that he made. Because I have never found anywhere, the Bible says of the, of the prodigal son or the the young man we refer to as the prodigal son, that he spent all of his inheritance. He wasted everything that he had. Nowhere in scripture do you ever find that restored. 
Now he came home, he was welcomed, they killed the fatted calf, it was a wonderful ending, but it still came at a tremendous price. And so let's never ever forget that his brother forgot that he still had some skin in this game. He still had a lot of loss in this game. He resented the fact that his father was having a, uh, a welcome home party for the safe return of his son. I mentioned in my opening comments that we can do the right thing, have the wrong motive, and uh, that is true. It's not enough that we do what we do. We have to understand that how important it is that what we do comes from the heart. How many would understand what I'm talking about if, you, if I were to say that uh, you can either cut the grass or you can mow the lawn? <laughs> Some people just cut the grass and other people mow the lawn. There's a little care and concern and, 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 it, and I, I feel a little guilt in the, I don't know if this is guilt or, <laughs> there's a difference. There's, there's a real difference. You can tell when someone has really put their heart in what they're doing, whatever that is, if it's um, a cooking a meal, painting a room, whatever the case may be, you can tell if it's coming just from the head or the hand or if the heart is involved in that. And so we need to do what we do with all of our heart. I believe that Paul addressed this head on in the book of Ephesians chapter 6. Paul said, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. My Lord, let there be passion about what we're doing. Why? Why not be passionate? Why not give the very, very best? Listen, let's don't give God secondary anything. But let's give God and the house of God and everything that we do, there should be a mark of excellence, not to showboat, not to show out, but because we are doing this from our heart. Jonah's problem was not that he didn't like people. Jonah had heart issues. You ever heard people say that? You see the hearts of... Uh, it's a very important organ and there can be several things that are wrong. And so sometimes rather than trying to explain everything about someone, we can just say, well, they've just got heart issues. And here's what we find with this man, Jonah. He just has heart issues. There's some heart issues. The Bible says that in Jonah chapter four and verse number one, this is after the revival. This is after the people have repented. This is after people have turned their way. You would think if there was ever a moment to be happy, you would think if there was ever a moment to rejoice that this right here, that chapter four and verse number one would open up with talking about how pleased Jonah was that he finally obeyed the Lord and the Lord has moved and everything is wonderful and lives have been changed and as we talked about Sunday not just the lives of those people but the lives of generations of people now will be changed but the Bible says in Jonah 4 and 1 something quite different than that that it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was very angry it doesn't say that it just displeased Jonah and he was angry, but it, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. We got a man kind of beside himself here that people have repented. The remarkable thing about all of this, in my opinion, one remarkable thing is that the mercy of God never stopped flowing to Jonah. 
wouldn't you think that by now the Lord would be kind of got his hand on at least one hip? At least one eyebrow raised a little bit? Wouldn't you think at least by this point the Lord would be saying, really? But the mercy of the Lord just kept extended to the hand, or to the life rather, of Jonah throughout this entire ordeal. Jonah 4 and 2 the Bible says, and he prayed unto the Lord. He prayed. He prayed unto the Lord. He's exceedingly very angry. Well, this has got to be a powerful prayer. You just want to buckle in because this is going to be a wonderful trip. And he prayed unto the Lord and he said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Which is all true if you go back and read the preceding chapters and verses he says, therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew he is angry. He's exceedingly angry. <laughs> he is exceedingly displeased, and he is very angry. And he said, I knew you were going to do this. I knew that thou art a gracious God. Boy, here's, here's the checklist of all the things he's mad at God about. <laughs> I knew you were a gracious God and I knew that you were merciful and I knew that you were slow to anger and I knew that you had great kindness and repentest thee of evil. I just knew you were going to do this. Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me for it is better for me to die than to live. And in his mercy, the Lord said, Doest thou well to be angry? Is this really in your best interest? You're really mad about this? It's like your children coming home on time, getting good grades, always saying, Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, thank you, please. And you put them on restriction. I knew you were going to turn out to be a good moral citizen and we got to do something about this. And the Lord is saying, what are you mad about? What in the world are you mad about? This is the second time in the story of Jonah that we find him praying. The first prayer of Jonah, Jonah chapter 2, is from the vantage point of the belly of the fish. In this prayer, we find a man who appears to be completely broken, ready to do whatever it takes. I'm sorry, Lord, if you could just somehow get me out of this. And the Lord somehow gets him out of this. But in his second prayer, his second prayer was much different. Because in his second prayer, we don't just hear his voice. In his second prayer, we hear his heart. Therein lies the trouble. Because we're not just hearing what a man's saying, but we're hearing what's really there. What's really there. It's here that we get another glimpse of the real man, Jonah. One commentary said it best. He penned these words. He said, Jonah prayed his best prayer in the worst place. And that was from the belly of the fish. And he prayed his worst prayer in the best place. 
And that was in the city of Nineveh that was broken and the streets are wet with the tears of people that have repented. So he prays his, his best prayer in the worst place. He prays his worst prayer in the best place. Amen. His first prayer came from a broken heart, but his second prayer clearly came from an angry heart. Oddly enough, in his first prayer, he asked God to save him. Now in the second prayer, he asked God to kill him. Are you having trouble keeping up with this? I'm having a little bit of trouble myself. Once again, it seems like Jonah would rather die than not have his own way. And you know what? We've been the same way. You ever had your child say, I'm just not going to eat anything? It's okay to admit that. Because the best of children have days like that. So that doesn't mean you, your child's a bad child. It just means your child's probably human. I don't like green beans. I just won't eat anything. And we're all that way from time to time. No matter how quiet it is right now, we're still all that way from time to time. We'll just say, no, I will have nothing. And so rather than if I can't have my way, then just take me out of the whole situation. And the spirit of the prayer, I think, reveals why Jonah tried to run away in the first place. Because, you see, Jonah understood something about God. Deep down inside, he understood God. And he lists all of those things that he knew about God in verse 2. Those are the things I mentioned a moment ago. That God was merciful and slow to anger. He was kind. And he knew that the Lord would repent, potentially repent, of the evil. And so knowing this, Jonah was sure that if I go and pronounce judgment and the Ninevites repent, if they actually repent, then God, I know you well enough to know that you're going to forgive them and you're not going to send this judgment. Now, to you and I, that sounds like mission accomplished. I'm going to go and preach. I'm going to tell what you tell me to tell them and your spirit is going to move on them and they're going to repent. The city's going to turn and everything's going to end well. Mission accomplished. It only sounds good if your heart's in the right place. Amen. But Jonah's heart was not in the right place. And Jonah figures out that if he preaches repent and they actually repent, that God was going to indeed change his mind and save them. And then Jonah was more worried about his own reputation than he was the souls of the people that he was reaching. Because if I go and say that if you, if you, that you're going to repent, the judgment of the Lord is against you. And now the people repented and the judgment of the Lord was lifted from them. And now it's going to appear, stay with me here, it's going to appear in some little twisted way in his mind that he's now a false prophet. Amen. He's more concerned about what people think of him than an entire city being converted. Amen. And so, if you think about it, Jonah's message was really just a message of impending doom and judgment, not really an offering of a solution to their sin. And I think that we certainly need to be able to preach a message of conviction, but I believe as a church that we need to also offer a solution. Amen. You may be in trouble, but we know a God that can help you. 
You may be at the end of your rope, but we know a God who can extend that and add to that. And so there's not a problem that God can't fix and there's not anything that God can't take care of. I think it's fair to think that that, that Jonah wasn't just worried about what the Ninevites thought of him, but I think that he can also be like uh, you and I tonight and that we can worry about what our peers think of us as well. And if we're not careful, we can allow what others may think and our reputation to become more important than the will of God. More important than the will of God. I am thankful. I, I remember um, one night in our at the church in Eagle Lake, Brother Tumman was preaching, and in the in the service there was an altar bench in the middle, uh, kind of in front of the pulpit, and uh, was needing. Uh, I was needing uh, something in my life, and the Lord. I can't remember what exactly what it was, but the Lord spoke to Brother Tumman and said to have me walk around that altar seven times. You remember that? And so I walked around that altar seven times, and the Lord absolutely met that particular need. But you can start wondering about three times around what people are thinking. Because this is a little bit unorthodox. What does this have to do with anything? I don't know what it had to do with anything. But you can let your reputation get in the way of God trying to really do something in our lives. It's possible that he worried about what others are thinking and saying. And you can get caught up in that and miss what God is really trying to do in your life. Jonah saw these people as an enemy to destroy, not people to repent and sinners to be brought to the Lord. And so when our reputation becomes more important than our character, or when pleasing ourselves and our friends becomes far more important than pleasing God, then we're in danger of becoming like Jonah. Amen. We'll live to defend our own feelings and, and, and our own likes and dislikes instead of fulfilling the spiritual responsibilities that God has called us to do. And so I say, Lord, help me to wh whatever it is that you're calling me to do. Don't let my reputation get in the way. Don't let what, what others may say or even the condemnation or the smirks and the sneers of other people. Don't let that get in the way of what you are asking me to do. I believe that we can submit ourselves to success in the kingdom of God. I believe that we can yield ourselves to the voice of God, the hand of God, and God can do the elevating, but we can't worry about what somebody's gonna say along the way. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, I mentioned a moment ago that Jonah was so angry that he just wanted to die. That seems pretty extreme. It's, all, it's so important to, to me, and, and I, I marvel at how, God deals with humanity. Because in, in truth, we would probably by this point have taken Jonah behind the barn and granted his request. You want to die? <laughs> Here we go. We would be so exasperated because this is a pretty dramatic story. And here's a man that still can't get it together and figure it all out. But I marvel at the mercy of God how God can just keep extending his hand of mercy. But you know, I wouldn't be here tonight if it hadn't have been for that stream of mercy that just keeps flowing and, 
and when you think you get it all together and you realize you don't have it all together and you think God's gonna just kind of let go and the hand of God just reaches out to us one more time, I'm thankful for a long-suffering God. Amen, the Lord, uh, the Lord now, instead of just, instead of wiping him off the map, God, in his infinite, immeasurable mercy and wisdom, is going to send yet another dramatic life lesson because he's trying to reach him. Jonah 4 and 5. You guys don't feel 12 years old, do you? So Jonah went out of the city, sat on the east side of the city, and there made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord God prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might shadow over his head the mercy of God. You ready for this? To deliver him from his grief. The Lord says, let me help you out. You got a horrible spirit, but let me help you out. So Jonah was exceeding glad of the gourd. But God prepared a worm when the morning rose the next day. And it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared. You reading that with me now? God just got through preparing a worm. (laughs) He prepared a gourd. Then he prepared a worm. This is after he already prepared the fish. And now he's prepared, now he has prepared a vehement east wind. And the sun beat down upon the head of Jonah that he fainted and wished in himself to die and said, it is better for me to die than live. And so for the second time, if we go back to verse 5 a little bit, for the second time, Jonah has abandoned his post of duty. Jonah go to Nineveh. And the Bible says that Jonah went out of the city and he sat down on the east side of the city. He left there and the scripture says that he might see what would become of the city. I'm just going to watch you burn. I'm going to just see what happens. He could have taught the Ninevites so much about God, but once again, he thought, I'm just going to do it my way and I'm going to go out here and sit down where I want to sit down I think it's always a tragic thing when we have the ability to bless others and we don't share that blessing with others. We have the ability to help someone along the way when someone doesn't know what you know about the Lord. Why would we be silent about that? Why would we not reach out to them? It doesn't matter where we are. If somebody has a need, we ought to be willing to share what we know. You you may think, well, I don't know all there is to know about the Bible. Well, I don't know anybody that knows all there is to know about the Bible, but why don't you share what you do know? I mean, what a tragedy it is to, to keep something that could be a blessing to others. God knew that Jonah was hot, sitting in the heat, so he caused a vine or a gourd to grow, 
the leaves would protect him. And the Bible says here was a man exceedingly uh, dissatisfied now. He is exceedingly happy. But the next morning when God prepared a worm to let the vine die, he got angry again and wants to die even more. And just like before, God was trying to remind Jonah that, what, that I want you to understand what it's like to be hopeless. I want you to understand what it's like to be without. I want you to understand what it's like to be exposed. What he was trying to show him was this. I want you to feel what the Nineveh we're feeling. I want you to feel what people without God feel. I believe every now and then it would be well, amen, for the Lord to let us just feel what sinners feel. Amen. Feel what lost people feel, hopeless people feel, helpless people feel. Amen. How much more effectively could we pray if we could feel a little bit of what they're feeling, carry a little bit of what they're carrying? Amen. Jonah was experiencing just experiencing just a little bit of taste, just a, a small taste as he sat and watched the city. But sadly, according to what we read in James 1 and 8, here was Jonah, that double-minded man who was really unstable in all of his ways. One minute he's preaching the word of the Lord and the next minute he's disobeying the very word that he preached and walking away from what God had called him to do. He called the city to repent Ironically, he wouldn't repent himself. He was more concerned about the creature comforts and, and uh, more concerned about where I am and who I am than really trying to touch those people that needed him so bad. So here is something that, that should not be lost to us. Not at all. The Ninevites, apparently a wicked people, but when they heard the word of the Lord... They obeyed the Lord. The vine, I'm not trying to insult your intelligence at all, but the vine, when the Lord spoke to the vine to grow, the vine obeyed the voice of the Lord. And when the Lord spoke to the worm, the worm <laughs> obeyed the Lord. And when the Lord spoke to the east wind, the east wind obeyed the Lord. In the midst of all of this, God's men, God's very anointed, God's very elect, His very chosen, would not do what God was asking Him to do. Now we can shake our heads and I understand the, the perplexity of our spirit, but sometimes we are no less than what we're reading about right here. God has been so merciful. God has been so kind. Amen. And I want to tell you tonight, just because you may not have a fifth of liquor in your cabinet, just because you may not have drugs in your, in, in, in your home, just because you may not have a lot of those things going on in our lives, we can still be very, very indifferent to the power and the presence of God. So you can say, well, I'm not all that. I'm not all this. But I'm going to tell you, God knows our heart. He knows what what's in here. Amen. We can say, well, I didn't go there this weekend or I didn't go do this last weekend. I had an opportunity. I could have done this. I could have done that. And I didn't do that. And everybody could see how righteous and holy. But here is God's looking down and he sees our motive. He sees our heart. He weighs the intention of the spirit of ourselves. Oh, God. Here is a man who had the most to gain, who would not give in to the Lord. And the Bible says in Jonah 4 and 9, And God said unto Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry at the gourd? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Wow. 
Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the gourd for which thou hast not labored, neither made it grow, which came up in a night. This thing wasn't even in your life yesterday. And now you have pity on something that you gave no life to. It was here just in a matter of, of a moment and it perished in a night. And verse 11 said, And should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left and also much cattle? And you're worried about a gourd that wasn't even here yesterday? You're more concerned about that than souls? Can I tell us tonight that when a church when a person, when a family, when a church, when a body, when an organization, ever how far you want to paint this line, when we lose sight of the ultimate thing, and the ultimate thing is souls. Souls. The ultimate thing is not who's speaking, who's singing, who's playing, who has a title, who don't, who's sitting in the audience who's sitting on the platform. No, 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 no. Amen. When we understand, amen, that it's all about souls. Amen. Tonight, the most important thing that could happen is that somebody would step a little bit closer to the throne room of God. The most important thing, the most valuable thing, not how long the service lasts. Amen. Not how long or how early we get out. Amen. Nothing, none of that, none of that matters. What's going to matter is if I have got to come to the house of God. I want to just pause here and say that's why it's imperative to not think about Wednesday just on Wednesday afternoon. Amen. Don't think about Sunday on Saturday afternoon and Saturday night. I believe we ought to leave here tonight praying, oh God, I need you to move Sunday. I need you to touch this house. Amen. I need you to, I need you to speak to whoever's going to be preaching. I need you to touch the heart of whoever's going to be playing music. Amen. Touch the heart of our Sunday school teachers. Touch the heart of our children. I'm being very very, very sincere with you tonight. Amen. Don't play games until 15 minutes before kickoff. I'm going to tell you we need the power of God because souls, that's what it's all about, souls. Amen, souls. We not only do we need to have new people that are repenting and being receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost and being baptized, but we need to retain the ones that God has sent here. Amen. I'm not just talking about sent here a few weeks ago or a few months ago or a few years ago. Amen. I want to retain the ones that were here 50 years ago. Amen. Let the power of the Holy Ghost breathe on all of us. Breathe on all of us. Praise God. Praise God. God's mercy truly is beyond words. Ironically, after all that he's been through, Jonah still has a problem with the will of God. Chapter 1, he understood God's will, refused to obey it. Chapter 2, he cried out for help. God reaches down. Chapter 3, he yields to the voice of the Lord to preach the Nineveh, but his heart is so far removed. Therefore, Jonah had one more lesson to learn. Perhaps, perhaps the most important one of all, he learned that you can't run from God. And he learned about God's grace. And he learned about God's power when he saw an entire city humble themselves before the Lord. And now he has to learn a lesson of God's compassion for lost souls. I've always found it odd that Jonah was the catalyst, at least, in the hand of the Lord. 
behind an entire city being brought to repentance, yet he didn't love the people he was preaching to. Odd. Verse number 10, the Lord scolded him, as I mentioned, about having pity on the gourd that he had no investment in whatsoever. But he didn't have compassion for people that had an eternal soul. If we contrast that against others in Scripture, here's what you find. We find Jeremiah and Jesus himself weeping over Jerusalem. And Jonah says, I'm going to go over here and just sit down and see what happens. But the Lord and the weeping prophet couldn't stop the tears because of the souls. When Paul beheld the city of Athens, the Bible says his spirit was stirred in him. I would tell you tonight, not in a condemning fashion at all, but with great passion that the lostness of people should stir us. It should move us. It should move us. But Jonah looked on the city of Nineveh with anger. He needed to learn a lesson of God's pity and and have compassion. I I will ask our musicians to come and I'll come in for a, a landing here. But please get these words. Because I found this, I just find this intriguing. That the book of Jonah and the book of Nahum are the only books in the Bible that end with questions. And both of these are referring to Nineveh. Jonah ends with the questions about God's pity for Nineveh. And you would think that this dramatic book, I mean, we've been all over the, our emotions have been all over the place in the book of Jonah. No wonder the book of Jonah can hold children's attention because it is a very intriguing story. And then it ends so weird. Don't you just hate that? You ever just finished a book and it just ends in such an odd way? You're going, what? I read read this entire book, all 63 pages, and it's going (laughs) to... And it's going to end like this. In Jonah 1, God has the first word. And in Jonah 4, God has the last word. But the mystery of the ages, here it is. We do not know how Jonah answered God's final question. We sincerely hope that that this question that kind of just trails off into eternity, we sincerely hope that Jonah yielded to God's voice and followed the example of the Ninevites and repented. As a matter of fact, even, even Jesus used Nineveh in his earthly ministry to show the Jews how guilty they were of, of rejecting his witness. The Bible says, I don't have this on the screen, but the Bible says in Matthew 12 and 41 that the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And and Jesus said, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. So this is not a story that just kind of sealed when 
we end this. It went on in, into the New Testament. But how was Jonah or Jesus greater than Jonah? Jonah preached a message of judgment. Jesus preached a message of grace. Jonah had a ministry to one city, but Jesus reached the world and is still reaching for the world. Jonah didn't love the people that he came to preach to, but the Lord gave him his life for the people that he came. As a matter of fact, on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive those that are killing me. And Jonah picked up his chair and went to the east side of Nineveh to watch God's judgment on the people. What, what a different contrasting of approach. You see, the real issue in truth, even though it is intriguing, the real issue isn't how Jonah answered God's question. The real issue is how are we going to answer? Because I don't have to answer for Jonah. I don't know what, how Jonah ever wrapped all that up. But I know what I've got to do. I've got to say, as for me and my house, I've got to get this right and I've got to keep this right. Amen. Let's stand, can we? And so how do we see the lostness of man? How do we untangle that in our mind? Do we look only with disgust when we see how people are living their lives and do we look at them and condemn and question why are we or do we say Lord I need to try to reach them I need you to I need you to help me somehow I got to I got to be a witness to them God help us today when we see the perverted nature of our world and society we can we can look at them with disgust or we can look at them with compassion and say Lord and I know you've heard me say this so many times, but truth, truly, but for the grace of God, there go I. And I, I don't want to just think about this in past tense, to think if it hadn't been for the grace of God, that could have been me. Can I tell you, if, if it's not for the grace of God, it still can be me. It still could be me. We should never be so puffed up that we think we're sailing so much higher above all of the things that can happen in this world. Because I'm going to tell you that you don't know, none of us know, just when and where tragedies can strike our lives and just change, forever change the trajectory of where we thought we were headed. Amen. God, I'm asking you today to touch us. Lord, we need you to help us. This great man, this great man, Jonah, Lord, he had heart issues. And we can have those heart issues. A man so mightily and wonderfully, mysteriously even used of you, and yet he just had so many things he couldn't seem to iron out of his life. If it can happen to a man of that stature, surely it could happen to me. So I'm asking you, God, to just step into this house one more time before we leave. Stir our hearts again. Amen. Can we worship the Lord in this song? Let this prayer, this song really be our prayer. Let's not just be entertained by singing and music. Let's let the words of this song, let it minister to us. Let it minister to us.
This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.